Today, I crossed the border into Wyoming, which seemed like an accomplishment and was the manifestation of last second changes. I had originally planned to go straight up to North Dakota from South Dakota, but I thought, man, I would love to see the Devil's Tower. And that turned into, well, I guess I should go to Yellowstone too. And before I knew it, I ended up in Idaho. It's crazy how things come together. And even though I was pretty exhausted, I had incredible things to see every day. And today was no exception. I'm Julio Gallarati, and this is Pack Light Season 1, A COVID-Friendly Road Trip. You really notice the little things when you spend enough time alone, and I intend to walk you through every little detail of this trip. These are my free-flowing thoughts as I drive around the country. At the end of the episode, there are more details about where to find pictures, links to music, and some other cool stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. I got a slightly later start today because of the podcast, but I wouldn't be doing too insane of a driving load today anyway. I felt kind of hungover and like my sinuses didn't feel great. Maybe from sleeping so poorly the night before, but I was a little annoyed at myself that the two nights in Oklahoma City and in South Dakota, where I had the opportunity to sleep really well, I couldn't help but doing a little boozing. Today, I should have been much more well rested. The room was tiny, albeit very nice, and high-tech and comfy, plenty of room ultimately for one person. Another plus was the Wi-Fi worked perfectly. I had only had a problem that one time in Vicksburg, and after a successful pod episode very early in the AM, bless the hearts of my podcast team, Chris and Francis, I was excited to hit the road. Today's route was a little different for a few reasons. First of all, I wanted to hit attractions that were both east and west of where I was staying. So I could go east first, come back to Rapid City for lunch, then head west and hit the rest of my stops. Then I would head to Wyoming, where I would end up spending the night. I had kind of a crazy list of stops. I ended up nixing a couple of the caves since they were closed due to COVID, leaving me with a much more doable itinerary. The first two stops of the morning would be the Minutemen Missile National Historic Site, followed by the Badlands National Park. It would be around 150 miles round trip to both stops and then back to Rapid City for lunch, part one of the day. I arrived at the missile site at 9.30 a.m., quickly used the bathroom, which looked kind of like a James Terrell exhibit. There was just an opening in the ceiling for light and a freestanding toilet with no handle to flush. I wondered if all this stuff had something to do with security. The missiles in the site actually span over two or three different sites, are not active silos, but are silos nonetheless. They go super deep into the ground, containing ICBM nuclear missiles that were in place all over the region during the Cold War. There are still 450 active, newer ones scattered around Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Five, four, three, two, 
facilities of the park represent the only remaining intact components of a nuclear missile field that once consisted of 150 Minuteman II missiles, 15 launch control centers, and covered over 13,500 square miles of southwestern South Dakota. This is all from Wiki. This particular site consists of an underground launch tube, quote, missile silo, 12 feet in diameter and 80 feet deep, made of reinforced concrete with a steel plate liner. An unarmed missile is on display inside. The launch tube's 90-ton cover has been rolled partly away and welded to the rails it rides on. The launch tube was then covered with a glass viewing enclosure. Not only does this permit visitors to see the missile, it means Russian satellites are able to verify that the site is not operational and hence in compliance with the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, aka START. I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, as expected, there wasn't really anyone there, just one older couple. They still had some of the original barbed wire fencing intact from when this site must have been active, as I assume an inactive missile doesn't really present much of a security risk anymore, and maybe they kept it to kind of like spice up the experience, which I certainly appreciated. When you approach the silo, you notice quickly that the silo is completely underground. You can only see the glass cover on top until you get within five or 10 feet of it, close enough to look down into the silo. There's this little missile thing sticking out of the ground next to the silo itself. I'm not sure what it's there for, maybe just for a decoration or some indication that a missile is nearby. But at first I thought that that was the main attraction, not realizing that there was this behemoth missile that was inside the ground. I peered over and looked in. I was really impressed with how deep the silo was and how big this missile was. It's pretty damn cool. And also cool because I only had to spend about 20 minutes there to soak it all in before I could head to the Badlands. When all is said and done, if someone asked me what was the most surprisingly impressive part of your trip, I think my answer would have to be the Badlands National Park. It was only about 10 minutes away from the missile site. First of all, I made sure to buy the annual pass for national parks. It's only 80 bucks, and the popular parks typically cost $35 each to enter, so it pays for itself very quickly. Shout out to Hillary's parents for that recommendation. It's also an easy park to digest. The most impressive part of the park is the overlook, and that's about a few hundred yards away from the entrance on your left. The Big Badlands Overlook, which Google unemotionally describes as a scenic pullout offering sweeping vistas of the Badlands' famously steep, jagged geologic formations. For miles and miles are these jagged, rocky, mountain-type formations that aren't quite big enough to be called mountains, I don't think but they were unlike anything I had ever seen. It almost looked like giant stone teepees. It's truly a surreal sight. I wanted to try to get a hike in. There were a few good paths that looked pretty solid, so I went to check it out. The Notch Trail appeared to be semi-challenging and about a mile and a half, which was perfect. It was about 10 a.m. and I wanted to be back in Rapid City for lunch to get that bison burger I had been craving. The trail was steep in parts, and there was this pretty steep log ladder that starts off fairly parallel with the ground, but by the final third is completely perpendicular with the ground. 
So you literally go from walking to have to use your hands and feet to climb up a ladder. Pretty easy on the way up, but not so easy on the way down. I tried to gauge whether or not I should try based on the other people who were trying and succeeding. And I saw a bunch of people who, like, weren't in that great a shape, doing it with what seemed to be relative ease. And I figured there were lots of people around. If I got stuck or got hurt, I would have someone to help. I handled it well going up and down. I walked around the cliffs for a bit before deciding it was just getting too hot and that I just didn't need to complete the trail. I turned back and got in the car. I love a good national park drive, especially when you can do the drive in a not crazy amount of time. Yellowstone is stressful to me because there's so much ground to cover. The Badlands isn't that big, all things considered. I feel like you can drive around the whole thing in 20 or 30 minutes. South Dakota clearly has somewhat of a booming tourism situation because there are tons of tourist traps. Unlike a Niagara Falls, which has a similar vibe as far as like hokey local tourism goes, and what I mean by that is, when you go to Niagara Falls, there's just Niagara Falls there. So people go and check it out, but if they make a weekend out of their trip, they kind of run out of things to do. So they add a Hard Rock Cafe and a Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum to give the people some more stuff to do. This area of South Dakota isn't exactly like that. It's not just Mount Rushmore, like I mentioned before. This place has a ton to offer. Nature and all sorts of awesome stuff. But despite this fact, there were still all these, quote, trading outposts and, like, little recreations of settlements and giant dinosaurs and just, like, man-made, low-hanging fruit tourist attractions. I remember the last time I was here, in South Dakota, I drove across the state, and literally for 400 miles, they were promoting this place, Wall Drug, on billboards, which is a trading post type of place. And in my opinion, it's a tourist trap. But after you see signs of it for five hours, of course you're gonna stop there. <laughs> it's kind of a brilliant marketing strategy. On this particular drive, I saw one of the wall drug signs with a giant replica of a dinosaur behind it. It was unclear if there was any significance attached to the dinosaur or if the dinosaur was its own thing and happened to be next to the wall drug sign. But I remember those signs being pretty random. This little 60 mile stretch back and forth was the only overlap that I did on this entire trip, meaning a route that I had been on before. I felt pretty proud to be covering so much new ground. I sat back down for lunch at Tally's around 12.15. Pretty solid timing per usual. I, of course, ordered the bison burger with Swiss cheese, onion, pickle, tomato, ketchup, mustard, and hash browns instead of fries. There was a pop and brunch menu and I wanted to order literally everything, but I remembered what happened last time I did that and I just made sure to go with the bison burger. It kind of made me wonder about the history of the bison burger. First of all, American buffalo are in fact technically supposed to be called bison. Proper buffaloes are located in Africa and Asia. Apparently the bison meat is much leaner and healthier for you than regular beef. It's supposed to be sweeter and more tender, but it needs to be cooked carefully, as overcooking it can really ruin its consistency. Bison are native to South Dakota, and South Dakota supposedly has some of the largest wild herds in the world. 
In the 1500s, there were supposedly 60 million bison roaming around the plains. By the end of the 19th century, they were nearly extinct. There were said to only be about 325 left in the 1880s, less than 100 in the wild due to excessive hunting. Today, there are about 20,000 of them roaming around America. It's always a treat to eat a local specialty, and the burger did not disappoint. There were these guys talking to each other at the bar as the bar started to clear out. It was just me and these two other guys. Let's say that I was on the far right of this like circular bar. There was one guy in the middle and one guy on the far left. And it was a big bar, maybe like 12 seats around. These two gentlemen both ordered the steak and eggs and were raving about how it's all they ever get here, which kind of made me have FOMO, but I really was enjoying the burger. The guy on the far left was from Minnesota. His family was meeting him here in a week, and he came early to check things out for some reason that I didn't hear or maybe just didn't understand. He starts chatting up this other guy at the head of the bar who looked like a real man's man. Overweight, may have been wearing a Bluetooth, a hat, goatee, white dude. He was friendly. The other guy looked a little more European. He was wearing a tight-fitting T-shirt that was too tight for him. He had glasses on, frameless, pretty chic-looking, actually. I was surprised that he didn't have an accent. So anyway, these two guys got to talking. And actually, the big guy in the center of the bar was the one who was initiating the conversation with the other guy, to be clear. And the one guy was saying, you know, oh, I love the Twin Cities, where the guy in the end was from. But then he kept saying how much he hated the politics, hated the politics. The other guy just kept going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But I wasn't convinced that he meant it. They were talking about the protests and seemed to be of the opinion that the protests were overkill, that people had been looting and that it was lawless and all that. I wasn't annoyed yet. I was more trying to figure out where these guys were coming from. But this guy at the head of the bar was doing most of the talking about his businesses, how he was a bail bondsman, and how he had actually now shifted businesses. The other guy said less, still leading me to believe that perhaps he was in fact a liberal in the spirit of the Twin City tradition and was just trying to keep a low profile or something. Either way, I was over this convo and it was time to go. But it reminded me of something. I got a DM about how I needed to go check out the George Floyd Memorial, which, duh, of course they made the area he was killed into a memorial. But I just hadn't thought of it and also hadn't originally planned to stop in Minnesota since I had just been there with my buddies Pete and Ricky and a few others earlier in the year before the pandemic. The protests were still fresh and happening, with more to come, and it was an interesting time. I figured this newly dubbed memorial was a must-visit, so I'm happy that the big guy at the end of the bar reminded me of the unrest because it reminded me of the DM and about George Floyd and reminded me how insane of a year it had been so far. It also seemed like a nice way to make my trip go full circle. Everywhere I had visited had been so relevant. Some notable examples being Texas, where COVID was ripping, to Mississippi and Louisiana, where I had been listening to 1619 as I drove through the corresponding regions where the stories were taking place, the setting up of the funeral of Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, and now finally I would get to lay my eyes on ground zero of the Black Lives Matter movement itself. I made up my mind that I would definitely stop there. Needed to grab a coffee because I was feeling a little rundown, and I had a handful of sites that I still had to hit this afternoon. I wanted to visit Custer State Park and drive on the Needles Highway. I would also stop at Crazy Horse, which is a Mount Rushmore-esque mountain relief 
of Lakota war leader Crazy Horse riding on horseback, and then drive off to the Devil's Tower in Wyoming before staying the night in Gillette, Wyoming. The problem with having a highway as a stop, since Needles is a national park site, that I wanted to see, is that you need to try to decide which part of it to drive on. You can't just drive the whole way because they're typically pretty long and might lead you out of the way of where you need to go. For instance, the Natchez that I drove on earlier in the trip, it goes all the way through to Tennessee. So obviously I had to plan to bail at some point in the drive, which I did. So it takes a little bit of extra research. I wanted to make sure I saw a couple of the notable stops, and to my delight, it happened to be inside of Custer State Park. So it was a two birds with one stone situation. I had visited Mount Rushmore once before, but since it was on the way, and I remember it being so cool, that I figured I should give it a try again. It's one of those things that you don't expect to be as impressive as it actually is in person, but it definitely exceeded my expectations. Back in 2015, on the road trip where I bought the fireworks, not the road trip where I was arrested for them, <laughs> important distinction, we stopped at Mount Rushmore. At the time, I was actively making music as a rap character called Lil Young Big. He actually still exists on the internet, and I might bring him out of retirement at some point. It's really TBD. He has a bunch of songs on Apple Music and Spotify, as well as two dozen music videos, some weird sketches, a 360 VR video, and has done live art exhibitions that skew reality, as well as a few pranks. <laughs> this little project was in the character's early conception, and we wanted to shoot a music video for his song called Captain America that you can find on YouTube and SoundCloud along with the video, all that stuff. Hey man, West Virginia, what y'all know about that shit, man? Mingo County, fuck these hoes. Got Lil Young V, Metro Boomer up in the studio. What y'all know about that, motherfucker? Metro Boomer want some more, nigga. I'm like Harry Potter, invisible cloak, got me standing for real. Like Voldemort, you know I kill. Spread the Patrona for real. For real, for real. I'm drinking Patrona for real. I ain't got no deal. I still pay the bill. I don't got no clothes. I don't stumbling through your phone line. I know where to sell mama the pill. We went down in the woods and shot some America-themed stuff with an American-themed flag. Not an actual American flag, but like something you'd buy for a 4th of July party for people to wave around in the backyard. And some Captain America shields and such. We happened to actually be there on the 4th of July, not too far off from the day I visited this time around. However, that time, there was a big ceremony honoring veterans with live music and all that. Someone walked over to us. It was a spokesperson from the Marines. She asked us, what are you guys doing? I dropped the character. Maybe the only time I've ever done that. I dropped it because I was scared. I was scared because she said, see that group of 100 Marines over there? They're afraid that you were desecrating the flag or something and said they wanted to come over here and make sure that you stop. <laughs> I made it very clear that we were not doing that. I showed her our little props and made it clear that we too were patriots. We finished up shooting and got out of there as quickly as we possibly could before we got stomped out by some Marines. <laughs> Lil Young Big, poor guy. Misunderstood, I suppose. This time at Mount Rushmore was different. I remember it being sort of crowded last time, but not like this. There was also construction on the little walkway to the Overlook, so you couldn't get as close as you could before. And one of the presidents in the middle of the sculpture was falling apart a bit, and they appeared to be fixing it. I started to get really shook by how crowded the place was, 
especially during the pandemic, no one wearing masks. I got out of there almost immediately, despite the $12.50 I spent on parking. In this divided America, it appeared that the left and right were just bartering for national sites. And places that used to feel friendly to all didn't feel the same way these days. The Needles Highway in Custer State Park was right down the road. The surrounding forests were pretty magnificent, mountainous with beautiful trees and lakes and winding roads. I drove underneath the famous stone archway that goes over both lanes of the road. A lot of altitude changing and exciting driving. It felt kind of like a mini Yellowstone, which felt fitting leading up to my actual trip to Yellowstone tomorrow. When I came down on the other side of the mountain, I had arrived at my next stop, the Crazy Horse Memorial. It's only partially completed. The head of Crazy Horse is carved, and now they're trying to finish carving the horse that he's riding on. My friend Andy asked me if it's a scam, and I asked him why. It just seemed random that he would know that. And he said they've been building it forever and never making any progress. He must have learned this on YouTube or something. So this is how it works. If you want to get close to the statue, you need to ride a bus. And that A seemed annoying and B, COVID, so no shot. I literally just drove into the parking lot and took a couple pictures and then bounced. I remember wanting to see this last time, but not really being able to figure out how to get there for whatever reason. You still get a decent view from the parking lot, but since it's not even done, I like didn't really care that much. I started to read into the history of the Crazy Horse Relief as compared to Mount Rushmore. Now, this shouldn't be too difficult to figure out, but the four presidents on Mount Rushmore from left to right are Washington, Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and then Lincoln. I think people wonder how Roosevelt ended up on there. And apart from being a fairly well-known president, I imagine that it had to do something with the fact that he started the National Park Service and the outdoor nature of the exhibit in a territory that he was fond of and all that. For some reason, I assumed that it would take much longer, but I guess not, 14 years. Crazy Horse, on the other hand, which began in 1948 technically, has never been completed, even though it is still an active construction site. And it's like nowhere near being completed. If you go there, it appears to be like 10% done or something. So here's the backstory behind it, and it's actually pretty interesting. A local chief in 1931 decided that the natives had heroes as well, and that they wanted to carve the face of Crazy Horse into the mountains near Mount Rushmore. The guy who did Mount Rushmore never got back to them. After a decade or so, they finally got in touch with a Polish sculptor who had worked on Mount Rushmore, and they began to discuss a possible design. The natives were still pissed off about a treaty they made with the government, where they were supposed to retain ownership of the Black Hills forever, where Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse are located. And not surprisingly, the government ended up backing out on that. So it was decided that day that they would never accept government or state funding for the project, only private funding from people concerned about the plight of the natives. So I thought maybe that's why they haven't been able to finish. Like, obviously. But there's more to it. The sculptor was reportedly offered $10 million for the project from the federal government on two occasions, but he turned the offers down. He felt the project was more than just a mountain carving, and he feared that his plans for the broader educational and cultural goals of the memorial would be overturned by federal involvement. It's been controversial for a couple reasons. First of all, they never got approval from all the local tribes to build it. And secondly, Many of the natives oppose it since it's so invasive to the local nature and surrounding forests. 
and many people believe it represents the legacy of the sculptor and his family more than it does the natives it was initially meant to represent. So as to why it's not done, first of all, the sculptor, a guy named Zlikovsky, worked on it alone at first, while Mount Rushmore, for example, had 400 workers. Back then, there were no roads to get there and no electricity. Also, Crazy Horse is the entire mountain, while Mount Rushmore is just a little piece of the side of the mountain. And it took its toll on Zlikovsky, who ended up having four spinal operations, a heart bypass, and many broken bones along the way. He died in 1982 and was buried at the base of the statue. He never even got to see the face be completed. The head was finally unveiled in 1998. To this day, there are only a handful of people working on it, and due to tourism, they do most of the work during the fall and winter. Another controversy is that the natives aren't the ones handling the money of the mountain, and one family is making all the money off of the legacy of the natives, even though it's technically a non-profit. They're saying it's going to be done in 15 years, and when it is, it's going to be taller than the Statue of Liberty. Pretty cool. We'll see if they ever finish it. So, there's that. During the drive, I happened to drive through the Jewel Cave National Park grounds, which were beautiful. And despite the fact that I wasn't able to go into the cave, I felt happy that I was able to still drive through the park. It counts, I thought. Today was unique because it ultimately ended up being a lot of driving, but it was broken up over a bunch of different stops, instead of having like one or two really long stretches. I think both ways of doing it are challenging in their own way. It seems like breaking it up might be easier, but it's hard to really enjoy your stops when you know that you have five more stops to make in that day. You don't spend enough time at each thing, and when you finally get to the last thing, you're too tired to spend time there, even if you're running ahead of schedule, which somehow I always am. And even though long drives can be a brutal grind, having one long drive feels like a one and done. You do it and it's over. Even though breaks are nice, stopping and starting can be a pain. It was about 2.30ish and it was time to head to Wyoming to see the Devil's Tower. The drive would take about two hours. I crossed the border soon after that and I immediately started to notice little historical plaques along the road that I was driving on. The first was for an accidental oil well. Some guy named Al Smith in 1968 actually hand dug a well that ended up producing oil. The only one in the world. It reminded me of those guys on YouTube who build magnificent pools only with a rock hammer and a pick. <laughs> it's pretty cool. The well has consistently produced one and a half barrels of oil a day and still produces to this day. It ain't much to behold, but it's located in Newcastle, Wyoming, if you want to check it out. Correspondingly, the well is next to the site of Field City, which is an abandoned settlement that actually has some stuff there, unlike Rocky Springs in Mississippi. The first sentence of the plaque reads, the deserted site of Field City, or Tubtown, offers silent testimony to the boom and bust fate of many Western towns. I thought this was a pretty solid intro for a municipal plaque. It sounded like some kind of movie intro, like a Sergio Leone, like, <laughs> A familiar tale unfolded with this town as did with Nicodemus preventing its sustained growth, 
when they were unable to get a nearby railroad situation to unfold. Anything that you can see of Field City is kind of far away from the road, like too far to really see anything in specific detail, but it's fun to fantasize about what was and could have been. I was starting to get pretty tired and I wanted to crush Devil's Tower and then get to my hotel. I thought maybe I'd even get a tattoo. There's something spectacular about Wyoming. It's almost like the second you cross that border, everything is more magnificent. The sun, the trees, the landscape, all of it. It's pretty special. I understand why Kanye moved his operation there. I was starting to feel a little worn down by the time I arrived at the Devil's Tower. It was around 4.30. I was getting frustrated at my inability to take a picture that would properly characterize how magnificent what I was looking at was. I started to take selfies that made it look like I had it in my mouth or something, like an optical illusion kind of thing. I very quickly realized that I was being really basic and I felt really (laughs) self-conscious. I started to look around to see if people were noticing what I was doing and they didn't seem to notice. That made me feel better. Part of me wanted to hike up, but I was getting extremely tired. So I decided to bag the hike. It's one of my biggest regrets of the trip. I had the time. If I arrived to Gillette at six or eight, it wasn't going to make a difference. But I started deciding that I really wanted to get tatted up to surprise Hillary. I hung around the periphery of the tower for about 20 minutes, looking at it. A couple of people sent me Instagram messages about its significance, about how it's the only gigantic freestanding rock structure of its kind, and that the natives used to worship it. Pretty cool stuff. Apparently, there's a documentary about it that's worth checking out. The tower itself is 867 feet tall. It was also the first national monument, established by our boy, you guessed it, Teddy Roosevelt. National monuments are not always the same as national park sites, although the Devil's Tower is both. And about 75% of the national monuments are also national park sites, but not all of them. There are a few different governing bodies that also have the ability to designate national monuments outside of the National Park Service. In case you were wondering, which I imagine you were not wondering about this, but (laughs) just felt the need to clarify. You can rock climb to the top of the tower if you know what you're doing, but you need all the fancy rock climbing gear and all that. As far as hiking goes, you can hike up to the base and stare up at the towering igneous rock marvel. I was trying to find cool podcasts to listen to about national parks and stuff to recreate the authenticity of driving through the South while listening to 1619. And no offense to the stuff that's out there about national parks, but it's pretty damn corny. It's actually part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast, because I know that I would have appreciated something like this if I had it. I was back on the road a little before 5.30, and I had 60 miles to get to Gillette, where I would be staying the night. Those 10,000 points I got because of the cockroach would actually come in handy at this hotel, which was only 8,000 points, meaning I could stay for free tonight at the Fairfield Inn and Suites in Gillette, Wyoming. I was feeling pretty run down, but I really wanted to get this tattoo that Hillary had drawn earlier in the day, just a little hard. Like I said earlier, I unfortunately have a long history of tattooing girls' names on my body. Hillary had always been pretty adamant that she didn't want me to do the same. So this was a nice, nuanced way to make her feel special and to make me feel close to her even though we were so far away from each other right now. 
I don't know if this is actually true, but I feel that every second you drive west in Wyoming, the nature becomes more and more impressive. As I drove through Moorcroft, I saw a series of beautiful giant lakes, water on either side of the highway, with gorgeous rolling hills filled with animals in the distance. It made me remember the first time I went to Wyoming and how impressed I've been by it ever since. This was trip number two, and hopefully I could get my energy where it needed to be. There were a few spots to get tatted in Gillette, and based on the hours of operation and ratings, I chose to go to Pain for Sale. I have a lot of little tattoos, so most of them fall underneath what would be considered the quote, minimum price amount. Same in this case, and it's nice that the minimum is much lower than it is in some of the bigger cities that have gotten tats. 60 bucks. The tattoo place was huge, and there was nobody in there. Right upon walking in, there was just a giant bear skin draped over the floor. A weird but fitting touch, I suppose. They had pretty much fully opened the city at this point, and the tattoo artist mentioned that that was a recent development. We did the basic setup for a tap. He printed out a few different sizes. I was adamant about keeping the heart exactly as my girl had drawn it. We eventually agreed on a size. The guy asked me if this was my first tattoo, and I understand why he asked that. Because this is like a classic first tattoo tattoo, and I don't have many visible, so it was definitely an understandable reaction. You know, it's like a simple thing, it's small, it's for your girlfriend, it's a heart, it doesn't seem that creative. I could see why he thought it was my first one. We both had a good laugh when I explained that I had a bunch, and I explained to him that I completely understood his thought process. He asked me if I was going to text her a picture of it or if I was going to wait to see her in person. I said that I was going to wait, which ended up being a lie. But he agreed, as I had anticipated, that that was the coolest way to do it. I, however, could not wait. And when I posted on my Instagram story, I made sure not to tag the place in it because I didn't want this guy to see it and judge me. (laughs) I wanted to buy some of the cool t-shirts in the store, but they were all like 3XL. All the good sizes had been copped. Typical. This started to remind me of the last time I drove for a while by myself and decided to get a tattoo. It was for the complete opposite reason. The girl that I was dating at the time, after alluding to the fact that we might be exclusively dating, decided to drop the bomb on me that she had slept with someone while I was on the trip. She initially tried to lie and act like he had taken advantage of her, which I later found out was not true. Maybe she felt so guilty as to what she had done that she couldn't help but blame the guy. Definitely a dangerous game to be playing. But I was so upset about it that I thought of this crazily intricate design that had something to do with love and like not giving up on love. Something really sappy and cheesy. But I got it the last day of my road trip after I had already dropped off Benny D somewhere near Silicon Valley in California. It's pretty crazy when I look back on some of my tattoos and remember how I was feeling when I got them. That's one of the reasons why I don't like to tell people what they mean unless I have a few drinks in me. Because they're typically very personal, and I usually get them when I'm feeling really, really good or really, really bad. Like love or pain or whatever. I know it sounds corny, which it is, which is why I don't like to share it. (laughs) It's just too intense. It's like a diary, and I like remembering how I was feeling at the time, so I don't forget and can reflect on the lessons that I've learned in the aftermath. 
This was the first tattoo I had gotten in a while. The last being, which I mentioned in an earlier episode, the ah fuck tattoo that I let Pete tattoo on my leg. That was like our group of friends inside joke at the time, in case you're scratching your head being like, what the hell was that for? (laughs) I gave the guy a solid tip and got out of there. Dark ass clouds started rolling in again. And I found a sushi place in a strip mall to grab dinner. Not feeling my best per usual, I decided to try to wash that away with hot sake and hot tea at Sushi Sakura in Gillette. I don't know why I just pronounced it like a Sakura. (laughs) Sushi Sakura, I don't know. The waiter kept messing with me, and it was kind of hard to tell if he was messing with me because he was wearing a mask. So like he would say something weird, and then we would kind of sit there, and then he'd be like, just kidding, (laughs) haha. Like for example, I asked him if he could heat up the sake because it wasn't hot. And he goes, oh, sorry, we can't. It goes through a giant sake Japanese machine, which sounds like he's messing with me, right? So I was like, <laughs> wait, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. So then I'm like, whoa, okay. And he goes, well, I guess I could nuke it for you for a sec, which I guess is him saying he's kidding. I, I just don't know what happened. There. I ordered like I would if I were hungover. And quite frankly, I felt similarly. I had driven way too much. I had packed in too much. Classic. Literally the opposite of the advice of our pal David Shane. I ordered hibachi and I wasn't even sitting in the hibachi area. I didn't want to have to be like, oh, yay, when he made like an onion volcano, you know? So I got a full shrimp hibachi meal, fried rice subbed in, a Naruto roll, which is like a sushi roll, but instead of rice, there's cucumber on the outside. One additional roll, And of course, hot tea and hot sake. Quite a meal. I stuffed my face. Losing weight completely had gone out the window. I know that's obvious at this point, but there was no even hope of somehow resurrecting my diet on this trip. It was over. I was coming back a bigger boy. It just was what it was. The setup of the restaurant was very similar to this pretty typical takeout sushi place that I know and love. Japanica 2 in Middletown, Connecticut. That's where I fell in love with sushi as a teenager. My dad would take us all the time. And the setup was just like the setup of this place in Wyoming. I capped it at one bottle of hot sake. Because sake's sneaky. I remember one time I made a fool out of myself after I drank too much of it. And the girl that I was dating at the time didn't speak to me for a week because of it. Oops. It felt good to eat a big meal. Next stop, the hotel. funny that this hotel was so cheap, points-wise at least. I think it was about $80 when you do the conversion. But it was a Marriott brand hotel with a literal indoor water park inside the hotel, which I wasn't sure if it was still open because of COVID, but obviously I didn't go in there anyway. But an indoor water park, literally what? (laughs) Also, my room was huge. It was a proper suite with a living room, two flat screen TVs, Pretty sweet. It was my biggest room so far. But unfortunately, I felt the worst that I had felt the entire trip. Just run down. It was time to sleep early. I was in bed by 8.30. Unfortunately, I ended up next to yet another extremely loud next door situation. I don't know if it's just bad luck or if it's the nature of staying in these kind of hotels. I just heard people having some weird celebration. 
I just heard this. Huh? Yay! Huh? Yay! Over and over and over. I was trying to figure out what the hell they were even doing. I literally yelled, shut up! A couple times, and I banged on the wall until finally I called the front desk. I then turned the air conditioner off, but turned the fan on high so that it wouldn't go off during the night, and hopefully it would drown out the noise of the people, but I wouldn't wake up feeling sick. It worked, and I fell asleep soon after. On the next episode of Pack Light, I start the day by meditating in an attempt to heal my body and mind. I also spend the day at the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. I get bullied by teenagers and somehow end up in Idaho, even though I didn't have any intention of going there. Make sure to check out my YouTube channel for the entire episode along with a soothing visual accompaniment. And check out the Instagram at PackLightPics for some videos and pictures of the stuff from this episode and also for a checklist of all the stops I made if you want to try to do a similar trip yourself. There's a link to my playlist in the episode description as well. Message me on my Instagram at NotJulio, N-O-T-J-U-L-I-O. Let me know what's up, thoughts, suggestions, where you want me to go next. Would love to hear from you. Guys, thanks for listening. I really appreciate all of you and enjoy. Enjoy.